Hi, everyone. This is Mike Epstein. Welcome to Speaking of the Arts. Our guest today is Danny Melnick. In 2007, Danny formed the renowned presenting company Absolutely Live Entertainment, LLC. Since then, Danny has produced tours, festivals, concerts, and special events worldwide. These include the Fryhoffers Saratoga Jazz Festival, a four-month-long Blue Note Records 70th Anniversary Tour, a world tour commemorating the 50th anniversary of Miles Davis's Kind of Blue, Wayne Shorter's 75th birthday concerts in New York City and in Boston, six Keith Jarrett solo piano improvisation concerts at Carnegie Hall, and the Afro-Cuban All-Stars at Town Hall. In addition, Danny proudly serves as the artistic director of Carnegie Hall's The Shape of Jazz series, now in its 12th season, and is the producing partner and artistic director of the Fryhoffers Saratoga Jazz Festival in Saratoga Springs, New York. In, two, in August of 2011, Danny was personally chosen by Newport Jazz Festival founder and producer George Ween to return to Newport and serve as associate producer for the Newport Jazz Festival. All told, Danny has helped to create and produce over 100 festivals in Europe, Japan, and the United States. As if this were not enough, Absolutely Live Entertainment recently opened a management division and currently manages ACT recording artist Rudresh Mahantapa. Danny, it's certainly great to have you as our guest today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for asking me. Absolutely. And again, I'd like to just uh, mention before we actually start our conversation, it really means a lot to me personally that you're on the show. Um, I certainly consider you a mentor. Your advice and feedback over the years has been very helpful, so I want to thank you for that. Great. You're welcome. All righty. Well, you started Absolutely Live Entertainment almost eight years ago, and for those listening who might not be familiar with the scope of your work, can you give us a little background? Why did you start the company, and how did you start it? Well, I worked for George Ween for uh, and Festival Productions, Inc. for the most part of, of a 17-year run between 1990 and 2000, and at the end of 2006 through the beginning of 2007. George sold Festival Productions at the end of 2006, and I decided during that transitional year in 07 to leave and start Absolutely Live. Um, I did that at the beginning of the fall of 07 and sort of officially launched the company in the winter of 08. And I just felt that it was really time for me to uh, give myself a chance to be a business owner and to uh, take advantage of my reputation and, and my relationships and really go and do something that uh, I wanted to do for myself. And fortunately, it's worked out very well. We've you know, worked very, very hard, of course, over the last uh, seven years or so, eight years almost, and um, have done a lot of really cool projects. And we've been very fortunate that uh, our relationships have uh, really allowed us to develop some very interesting tours and festivals and concerts and other special events and um, so it's been it's been intense you know it's it's not something that I ever set out to do many years ago, but the circumstances presented themselves at that time and I, I just felt that uh, it was really a great opportunity for me absolutely and it was clearly a great decision given everything that you're involved with right now. Um, and, you know, anybody I talk to, when your name comes up, I mean, you have an excellent reputation, and you mentioned it for just a uh, brief moment there, the, the key of and the importance of relationships. But I'm wondering, when you, you know, kind of looking back over almost eight years now, is there anything you act, you wish you knew when you first started that would have been helpful? 
Well, you know, like as I said, I worked for George for a long time before I started Absolutely Live, and I had a, a number of other jobs in the music business. But since I've been in high school, uh, and I'm now, as we're talking, going to be 48 soon, so it's been quite a while, my 30th high school anniversaries this summer, I've only made money in the music business. Every single job that I've ever had and everything that I've ever done since that time has, has really only been through you know, the business of music. And so I love it and I love the music. Um, I have made some great friends over the years who are very, you know, important personal friends to me. And those relationships really allow for everything to happen. Um, when I was leaving festival productions to start Absolutely Live, I had a couple of things that I thought were going to happen and, and some things that I kind of knew that were going to happen all based on what people had said to me, you know, we will work with you or we're going to have you do this project next year. Um, or somebody, you know, people came to me and said, Hey, we have this idea for a year or two from now. And I thought, Oh, okay, well, if I, if I leave and I start this idea with them, maybe it'll come to fruition. And fortunately, a lot of those things happened. Um, there were plenty of things that I pursued that didn't happen, things that people brought to me that just didn't make sense that, fell apart but i think that the the you know relationships and and the dedication that i've had to the music and um i've tried really really hard to work with as many you know different people as possible over the years both you know people in the business and musicians and that has really for me personally you know really added up and has really allowed you know things things to happen so it's it's been both a labor of love and you know, a very serious work ethic and uh, a lot of energy and time, you know, put into it. Um, it is a 24-7, you know, experience without a doubt, running your own business and even working, I think, in the arts in general. And so um, I've been trying really hard to figure out time management and uh, to really work smart. You know, I think I, I know that I work really hard, but I think working smart is, is a challenge. It certainly is, yeah. Um, let's kind of talk about the nuts and bolts of Absolutely Live Entertainment. In the intro, I mentioned you're heavily involved with two major festivals, Fryhofer and Newport, and at the same time, you're also producing a couple of independent series. But to start, how how does Absolutely Live Entertainment determine which new projects are worth pursuing? Well, that, again, is, is, is the whole process of trying to work smart. I have... Um, had the great fortune of, of uh, particularly at the beginning, when the phone really rang a lot. And now it seems like it's just more email than phone. But um, people have definitely gotten in touch with me through direct relationships or referrals and have asked me, you know, would you produce this concert? Can you do this special tribute show that we're doing? You know, we, we want to bring a group from overseas and we have financing, you know, to, to do something. Or would you put this tour together? Or would you pursue this festival idea with me? And at the beginning, I pursued every single solitary thing that was out there. Like, I just couldn't say no to anything. And not that I felt that they were all going to happen, but I felt that I had an obligation to myself and to the business and to the people that were getting in touch with me to at least check out and pursue these opportunities. I've learned over time that um, my time is very valuable and, you know, we're very busy and that a lot of these ideas just don't make sense. Um, and I've somehow have found a way to more quickly evaluate the realities of, of, of the possible projects and say yes or no more quickly. 
Um, I've definitely pursued a few things over the years that have still not come together. Um, you know, definitely have let some things go very quickly, felt for the most part that I've made the right decisions. You really never know. But um, it's just a matter of kind of getting a sense of the people that are talking to you, whether or not this is going to be a risk for you, whether or not they really know what they're talking about, whether or not the financing is there, whether or not I think people are going to be interested in this particular type of project, you know, what it's going to take to actually launch it. So, you know, it could be as small as, you know, booking a, a small series at a little, you know, theater or performing arts, you know, center that would just be, you know, not a lot of money because they don't have a lot of money to pay, but, you know, maybe a lot of work or maybe not a lot of work to literally creating like a whole new major festival and what the reality is of putting that together. So it's really varied from very small things to very big things. And um, I've just tried really hard over the years to get a better sense of what people are saying and what they're thinking and how to evaluate that more quickly so I can, you know, cut to the chase and either say, okay, let's, you know, let's see if this makes sense to us or, you know, I'm sorry, I just I just can't do this. Yeah, it sounds like certainly that figuring out the opportunity cost is very important and it's not always easy given there would, I would imagine up front there might be a lot of unknowns that you have to, like you said, use your judgment to determine and figure out if it makes sense going forward. And let's talk specifically about few, uh, a few of the bigger tours you've helped produce. So in 2013, um, Absolutely Live Entertainment did a 44-night North American tour celebrating the 55th anniversary of the Monterey Jazz Festival. And now you guys are preparing to produce Monterey Jazz Festival on tour 2016. So in a previous episode, I actually spoke with the Monterey Artistic Festival director, Tim Jackson, about those tours. But I'd love to have you describe your role in how those come about and also um, specifically the incarnation. Well, Tim is a great friend. And again, going back to relationships, um, he had worked with the Cami Agency for a few tours uh, years ago. And they were very successful. But for one reason or another, he decided that he wanted to make a change and just try something different in terms of the structure of the project and how it was going to be managed. He got in touch with uh, the, the Curland agency to talk to Ted Curland and to Jack Randall about being the booking agents for that tour. And he came to me and asked me if I would be the producer. My role as the producer of the tour is to work with somebody like Tim to put the project together, uh, try to come up with an estimated gross revenue tour budget, go back to the agency, give them an idea of you know what we're talking about, when we're going to do this, how this may play out, make sure that the artists are holding that time, have a general idea of what those artists are going to you know need to get paid, and then hope and really work with the booking agency to to, to make sure that they can deliver you know as many dates as possible within the weekly or you know monthly budget of the tour then what happens after that is the agency you know takes commission off the top um, I had an agreement with Tim to donate money from the tour to the Monterey Jazz Educational Fund and then figured out uh, what I had left and what I could do with that money and how I could cover all of the expenses of the tour road manager, sound engineer, bus, flights, insurance, all these other things, pay all the artists their fees and hold back enough money to make it worth our while to be the tour producers. You mentioned opportunity costs before. I, I, I majored in economics in college, and that 
was a, a theory or a law that I really grabbed a hold of back back in those days and still to this day have, have really thought about that a lot, and it's something that really guides me. And the truth is that I don't really know exactly, you know, what other opportunities may have come by or what other opportunities I may have just passed on, in my mind at least, to you know, while we were working on that project, because those those types of tours take up a tremendous amount of time for a very long period of time, because we got that together at least a year and a half before the tour actually took place. And we didn't work on it every day, but you're definitely working on it one way or another through th- that year and a half time period while you're getting the artist deals together, while the, you know, getting the marketing and promotional, you know, materials together, while the agency is booking the dates, and then while they, then when you get the dates, you have to deal with all the contracts with all the venues and, you know, getting the road manager hired and dealing with all the transportation and everything and doing all that advance work and then managing it while they're on tour. And you're not getting paid for any of those concerts until those dates play. So all this work is being done way in advance. The payoff isn't until the end. And the, the kicker is that you hope that you've managed this all properly so that you do have a nice profit at the end. And whether or not I was able to calculate that, you know, on an hourly basis like an attorney does throughout all of that time, you know, is just a big mystery, quite frankly, because I didn't do that, and I really can't do that. So you have to hope that you, you, you have a sense of what this tour should make for you as a company and how much time it will take and kind of just rationalize and say, okay, well, this is, this is kind of what I think it should be. And for that particular touring project, it worked really well. We had we did, you know, as you said, 44 shows. I think we also did a week at the Blue Note. Um, we made a lot of money. Everybody made a lot of money, and it really worked out very well. My challenge was to manage the touring budget. You know, I'm not responsible for the ticket sales at all the venues, but I want them to do very well, and we do help them market and promote, you know, to their audiences. But um, at the end of the day, the presenters are, are taking a risk on those shows themselves. But if those shows don't do well and a promoter wants to cancel or get a reduction in their fee, then that affects the, the stability of the tour as well. And so we try really hard to make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, but really my, my challenge is to manage the, the totality of the gross revenues of the tour uh, fees to the artists so that we can – stay in business and we do have a tour coming up in 16 it's definitely going to be smaller than the tour in 13 but i still think it'll be really good right i'm really glad you're describing the specifics of this process i think that there's a lot of people um who who might not be aware of the level of detail that goes on into what you're talking about and certainly when you're approached by people who are interested in working with you i would imagine even those individuals are not necessarily aware of what they're asking you to get involved with. So it's really helpful for you to paint that picture. Is is what you're describing more or less the same process that went that you went through for the um, Blue Note Record 70th anniversary tour? Yeah, it was exactly the same way. And I, and I will say to, to your comment, you know, Tim Jackson, when he first came to me, I said, well, why don't you do this? And he said, well, we don't do that. You know, he said, I'm the artistic director of the Monterey Jazz Festival. The Jazz Festival as an organization is not in the touring business. And for me, as an independent, for-profit business person, you know, I can sort of make it up as I go along. But I always wanted to do these types of tours because I worked on them when I was an employee at Festival Productions. 
and I knew that um, there was uh, an opportunity to do those types of things, you know, at Absolutely Live, and, um, uh, you know, it, it really uh, was was an important part of, you know, my business plan that, you know, if I could do an annual tour or a tour every other year, you know, it would really help, and, um, uh, you know, the... Uh, that process is very intense, like I said, and you just never really know what's going to happen. So, so I have had opportunities where people have brought these products to me, and I'll say to myself, like, okay, I don't think this tour is going to sell, or I don't think an agency will even want to pick up this tour, or I don't think that enough presenters are going to be able to pay enough to keep this thing on the road. And so I'll be very honest with these people, like, look, this is a great idea, but financially I don't think it's real. Or I could even say to them, I don't know that you need me. You know, like, I don't think that there's a place for me within the equation, and I don't think I can fit in. And, and what I mean by that is not just financially, but even logistically, and some artists get in touch with me or managers get in touch with me. They say, well, we'd like you to produce this tour, but basically what they're asking me to do is sort of be like a glorified tour manager without going out on the road. So, you know, fine. I mean, if they want to hire us to, you know, do coordination and flights and hotels, I mean, we'll do it, but it's not very creative, and it's it's not really what's necessary. And I'll say to them, like, I think I'm just going to charge you too much. You know, I think I'm going to wind up being a travel agent for you, and I'm going to, you know, I'm, I don't think that I can do it for as cheap as you think I can. And so those things, you know, are there. And there's all these different conversations that happen. And, again, it goes back to what I said earlier about, having a sense of, of, you know, whether or not we should be involved in these projects or not. The Bluno Records project was very interesting because just as I was leaving festival productions, Jack Randall, an agent at the Curland Agency, came to me and said, you know, two years from now, in 2009, Blue Note is celebrating their 70th anniversary, and I really think that we should try to put together a special project and take it on the road. And I said, well, we have to um, – uh, do something that is going to be really interesting and exciting, and we really need to um, uh, get the pr approval from Blue Note Records. You know, we need to, uh, uh, you know, make sure that this is like endorsed, basically. So Bruce Lonval, who recently passed away, was a phenomenal, incredible, legendary, you know record man, as they called them, uh, was the CEO of Blue Note at the time, and we called him, and Jack and I went to visit him, and we presented him with this whole idea, and we said, look, we don't know what you're doing for the 70th, but we want to do this, you know, we want to put an all-star band together, we want to, and he just said, do it, you know, he was like immediately and totally with us, he agreed to allow us to put a band together that he would record, he said um, we would be able to use his publicity and marketing team um, and, uh, uh, you know, be able to t tap into what, you know, was available, uh, you know, on his side and, and, and not have to spend money on that and just work with Blue Note as a marketing group, you know, in a way that would we thought would really appeal to the presenters. And it did. It just totally worked. And, and the greatest thing about that project for me was it was something that I had in my hand as soon as I started my business. Now, the money didn't come until a year and a half later, but the work was there. 
And I figured, okay, you know, like there's a light at the end of this tunnel. I hope and think it's all going to work out, and it did. You know, we did a ton of shows. The band was awesome. The CD was really good. Um, it was a very special project, and it really kind of um, got me going in, in that direction and, and really, uh, you know, set a tone for what the last you know, number of years has been like.